Hi, my name is Sean Taylor. That guy up there is my friend Chris Ford, a.k.a. The Objective Geek of YouTube and Twitter. And, hey, oh, I see what you, yeah, we forgot. Yeah. What a mistake. <laughs> uh, but, you timed, hey, you timed your spin this time. You timed it very well. Uh, well, uh, sorry, we're good. The day, the day of the Colossus has passed. It did. The thing is, I was thinking to myself, like, oh, I wish I had a Colossus action figure. And then I forgot that I, I do have a Colossus figure. Yeah, he looks great, too. He's got a great sheen. No, it's it's very, it's very chrome. Very, very chrome-like. I feel nope. I feel bad for Colossus because my only association with him really is Deadpool, which is not like a and that's a picture. No, that's a terrible. That's that's like the. <laughs> but he was also in X Men: The Last Stand. Get it? The Last Stand. We're reviewing. I do now, but I was actually just trying to think. I was like, I can't remember him. No, <laughs> I get it now. Uh, hey, that was a nice, that was a nice segue, Chris. But we can't do the segue because we promised all of our viewers that we would save whatever our news was last week for this week, and that news is just that next week we're gonna see John. <laughs> That's pretty exciting. On the twenty third, I believe. Is it twenty third? Okay. I think it's twenty third. Friday or Saturday? Yeah. I don't know. Heather's got it in her calendar. But the point is, we were saying for years. I, 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 hope, I hope you have the tickets, Sean. Uh, I got an email from the from the theater, which I think is outdoors. Nah, it's at the Starlight. The uh, it's the the Starlight Theater can't actually be outdoors. I don't know. I know I sound terrible. I live in Kansas City. That's if you, if you people. Out there, there's no it. way that they here. would have an outdoor. That no, Sean. It's indoors. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, it's indoors. <laughs> we're gonna go see him, and because we've been saying for years, if he came by, we'd go see him, and now he's here. And provided no like random life hiccups that occasionally he has. I'm very excited. I've been listening to all of his old stuff all week, which is kind of weird for comedy. You know, like if you go to a concert and you like listen to that group's music to like get you hyped up, but you're not going to hear any of the old comedy <laughs> at the current show. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's a good I mean, yeah. And even like movie wise, like I've been watching some of the recent Thor movies because the new Thor comes out tomorrow or tonight. And like even that, sure, it's a new story, but like it's a kind of continuing story. But yeah, comedy wise, it's like he's not gonna carry over a bit from yeah, that's not <laughs> from not uh, of like, uh, New in Town or Kid Gorgeous or whatever. The <laughs> I bet the comedians that do that probably hate it. Like I'm thinking of like Jim Gaffigan in the Hot Pockets. And he's like, I just put on like 55 minutes of like material I worked really hard on. And y'all want to hear about some damn <laughs> hot pockets? Uh, so I bet comedians uh, that are. Aziz, Aziz Ansari had one because he, you know, he has those jokes about R. Kelly, which are hilarious. Now even uh, more hilarious. But but then he had one afterwards. Was like, I was doing these R. Kelly jokes, and R. Kelly was <laughs> it's a pedophile. And look at me, stupid, doing R. Kelly jokes, talking about, <laughs> but. Uh, I, yeah, every time I can think of those jokes that are like callbacks, I just 
it's either really campy stuff or stuff that I, I genuinely believe the comedian only does because people expect it. So, uh, you know, John Mulaney, I have nothing that I want you to call back. You do you and, you know, don't do drugs, kids or John Mulaney, whatever. It'd be really interesting. Like, cause this will be his probably his fourth stand up. Well, okay, wait, no, he's done. Actually, I'm not. What am I thinking? This isn't like part of some special. I mean, it could be part of a special, but I'm sure they're not going to let us record. And anyway, it's, yeah, uh, I don't really know the rules for as much stand-up comedy as I quasi pay attention to. I don't really know, like, like the editing will be different. Yeah, like it won't like it'll probably be a lot more pauses and stuff in between and oh it'll be interesting it'll be an interesting experience i've only been to a big comedy show that had like that was like for a special one time and it was gabriel iglesias uh and it the pacing was much much different than you would expect yeah. uh but not even in a way that was really that distracting like it just felt more like a normal conversation that you were having with a normal person rather than like choppy quick 60 minutes jam-packed with some commercials and a netflix special you know so it wasn't un uncomfortable at all but hmm. uh, anyway i'm stoked to go out there so that'll be yeah. next week and we will have some kind of episode that we've recorded who knows what kind of episode chris who knows what probably about that is that is true big brother or lego or i don't know I, first two things came to my mind for some reason but, yeah, I don't know. That's a weird choice on my part. But before we go to John Mulaney, let's talk about The Legend of Korra, Book 4, Change, Chapter 13, The Last Stand, which is the finale of The Legend yes, of Korra this... and chronologically all things Avatar that I am aware of outside of comics I've never read. And, yeah. For now. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. So we pick up where we left off, um, but this time Team Avatar has been able to make it inside of the Colossus, because that's its name. It, its name is the Colossus. That's what we're calling it. Um, so they get inside the mech. There's sort of like three different goals here, right? So they get in, uh, Bolin. Okay. Bolin and Mako are responsible for like taking out his core. Suyin and Lin are responsible for taking out the uh, the, the spear gun, and Korra is take out Kuvira. So it's really good. Like, all right, all three of these things are pretty important. Like, this weapon is too powerful, and we had to dismantle. So, like, even taking out Kuvira, I think would wouldn't solve the issue at at hand like the weapon itself needs to be destroyed um and also it's like all right one of us might fail but if we can at least get rid of the gun that would be helpful or if we can at least blow it up from the middle that would be helpful or if we can at least take out Kavira, that would be helpful but all in all they have three different goals uh so the let's first off with the mako and bolin same with the uh, finale, uh, episode previous to this. There's not, there's so much action in here. There's not much story really until I think the end. And there's like just so much story at the end there. Um, but anyway, we have Mako and Balin, and they fight the guys off. And then uh, 
there's a really great brother moment here where they're like, oh, they 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 do the double switch things, you know, turn both turn the keys, and like it's not working because of some plot reason, which is fine. Like, <laughs> oh, it's not working. Kuvira must have did some override shift key thing. It's not the okay. first or last time that we'll witness that in a form of media. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, and then Bolin just like. Hey, like it just adds reacts weird to it when like it's overcharged or something. And Michael's like, all right, I got an idea. And Bolin is like, listen, like, don't you don't have to be a hero. Like, like get it, you're a hero, Mako. Don't do it. But Mako is persistent that he he'll he'll do it. And uh, and there's a really great moment of him starring the lightning and everything. Um, there's a a I weird thing. Charge up. Yeah, it's done. It's done so good. The music is also really, really good. Um, there's a so Jeremy's uh, not Jeremy's like anyway. Uh, Brian was saying like Jeremy's like was was sort of uh, mirroring what he did with the uh, last Agni Kai a, a little bit there, where he was like he you know toned it down a little bit. Um, but there's also a song that's like, I'm sure that's not the case here, but if you listen to it, it sounds like that song of like Everybody Wants to Rule the World. It's like Like, that's what it reminds me of, but then it tears off into something completely else. For some reason, like, you know how movie trailers sometimes use songs that completely do not show up in the movie and does not match his tone. Like, I can see, like, if someone did that to this, like, I didn't want to think it would work, because it's like, everybody wants to rule the world. It'll go along with the with the last episode, because Kuvira wants to pretty much rule. It not the me, world, but she wants to rule, like, 70, like, percent of the landmass. It the makes world. me think of when Halo first came out. Chris, I don't know if you remember those commercials, but they were, like, super serious. Like, you thought you were gonna be watching some, like, like end of times, like I can't even describe it. Just super dark, serious things. And then as soon as you turn on the game, right, you'd get these. St- I'm embarrassed myself because I can't remember what 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 they're. But the base bad guy enemies are like these clown noise making little squeak monsters. That <laughs> it's like a day of comedy, and I just remember that was like a lot of people's initial reactions. Like, yeah, it didn't really feel like the commercial made it feel. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the commercial um, was going to be like you know the end of the world <laughs> yeah but man the animation in that scene with, with Mako and electricity is just so like it is there's a scene where it's it's close up on his eye and there's just like going all around and then his shirt rips uh, it it rivals animation and anime like it reminds me of something out of like My Hero Academia the anime is the animation is so great, like everything crazy on the show. Um, but speaking of which, so Brian, <laughs> throughout this whole entire, I'll listen to commentary, and throughout this whole entire um, thing, Brian is like, he's like just applauding. He's like, man, this animation is so beautiful, and he's like, guys, I know that I'm all all the time like, oh, uh, animation's hard, guys. <laughs> he's making fun of him, himself. But it's like it really is hard, guys. <laughs> like, like this stuff is not 
done on a television scale like with ever like it's this stuff is and it's funny because i don't he's i don't think he's patting himself on the back usually he's he's never patting himself really on the back but i think he's because he's not like he's not in there doing the anime like they send it out to studio mirror and a lot of times he is um like patting on the back the uh, storyboard artists like uh, Joaquin Dos Santos or uh, Lauren Montgomery, who both of those people have gone on to do like, uh, I think Lauren Montgomery is going to be directing the Kyoshi movie. Oh, nice. It's funny because, yeah, um, she's also directing Into the Spider-Verse 2, I believe. Uh it's funny because at the end of the commentary, like both Joaquin, Joaquin Dos Santos, it's on the commentary is Joaquin Dos Santos, um, Lauren Montgomery, Brian, and Mike, and uh, and both Joaquin and Lauren are like, thank you for like, like you pretty much made our careers. And Brian's like, no, you guys made your own careers. Like you guys will go on to do like great stuff. And it's just interesting just how they have gone on to do like great, like Joaquin Dos Santos went on to do um, Voltron, which is, uh, pretty successful. Lauren, like I've mentioned, is, is uh, doing uh, Spider-Verse 2. And I think Joaquin is coming back in that for Avatar Studios. It's interesting. Um, well, you know, one thing, I've been thinking a lot about leadership and what type of leader I'm going to be like in my career and stuff. And Brian, and they oftentimes whenever they have someone else on, they're always like, well, Brian, you created an environment that was like conducive to us giving us power and responsibility and uh having faith in us like that's why we turned out like great stuff we wanted to, to do that like you empowered us to to do those things um and not just brian mike mike also um, speaking of which fill their portfolios rather than like <laughs> just you know serving people coffee and occasionally spitting out ideas like, we got to yeah it's it's funny because they're talking about story and then they're talking about how like how much evolved story-wise the animators are um because because brian was like you know we changed the story or my story on a lot of these things like we will go to storyboard artists because you know they're telling the story also and they're also like you know that's not always the case on on tv shows they're saying like with sitcom cartoons you know they've worked on probably things like king of the hill or family guy um it's like oftentimes animators can't even talk to the writers <laughs> like it's, it's like you can't talk to them like you're like you're not a writer um but strange but that, and old-fashioned sounding yeah but that wasn't the case here um quick i'm just checking because i wrote notes in our chat well uh am i still on this call yes i am okay so this episode is you guys don't realize okay anyhow wait no just go back to the meeting where's the meeting there we go nope still uh here we go now i'm back um no i'm just kidding I said I'm not on mute, and I've muted myself. I'm trying to think of the most word um, thing I could say. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, gosh, guys, it's been two years. At least figure it At out. Least. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I was on mute. Like, it's, it's, if you, you should know. Teams, 
uh, I forget there's a control combination or like spacebar. Like if you stay active on teams, spacebar. I actually have a headset specifically with a physical switch. Just oh yeah, I don't, I don't know why, but got a walkie-talkie radio. Over <laughs> every single time, they hate it when I say it, but you know. performance is down year over year. Over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Best way to give a uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, Mako gets like shot back by the lightning, and Berlin goes back and uh, and saves him, pulls him out. Uh, so on the other part of it, so um, Suyin and Lin are having to dis. I'm not even going off your notes. <laughs> I'm just gonna. Uh, I'll get back to some of. Well, and there's too uh, much. There's too many parallels going on in this episode for chronological notes to be terribly helpful. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Real quick, Suyin and, and Lin are trying to dismantle the spirit arm, and they do. There's one little moment that I just really love, right? Like, Kuvira, like, after they dismantle the arm, the arm's useless. Or they dismantle just the cannon, and Kuvira's pretty much mashed. Like, this, it's useless now. And she takes the whole arm off, even though she didn't need to. She didn't, she didn't need to take off any it of it, really. Right, it wasn't just, like it was hurting a whole. Yeah, it's just, it's just. Just like just carrying an empty gun, essentially. Um, but anyway, she rips her arm and she throws it. And there's a really quick scene where uh, Lin is Lin Suyin is like knocked out, and Lin is like barely conscious, and she metal bends uh, Lin to the like she pretty much fastens her to the metal thing, and then she fastens herself, and then. She, they get thrown, like, you know, hundreds of yards out the way. Uh, just a really quick scene. Also, just in this episode, in the previous episode, I love so much of the teamwork aspects of it. There's, like, so many great little animation done real quick. Like, there's a scene where Wei and Wen, Suyin's twins, are, like, falling. And then, like, you see Suyin and you see Lin. And then Lin goes and catches them. Uh, and she, but there's also rubble falling on top of them, and the Suyin lands in time to like shield them from it. It's like it's just really cool to see them working uh, in tandem together. I love team bending battles, really good. Uh, so that's essentially that plot. They dismantle the arm, and Kuvira, you know, just tosses it over. And that won't be a big deal later into like a forest or a park, something. Uh, Spirit Wilds, that's what it is. She tosses this over to the Spirit Wilds. Psh, not important. Uh, so then... Yeah, my. So then the big fight is Kuvira versus Korra. And uh, great fight. Great animation. Great... Uh, just creativity, I think, with the bending. Uh, especially there's that scene where, like, Kuvira, like, pins Korra to the wall. And then she, like, rips her across the room with the metal bending. Uh, it was just, it was just a, a really interesting way. It looked violent. Like, it, it, like can openers freak me out a little bit because I feel like I'm going to cut myself in a can opener one day. And that's what it reminded me. It of. had a very, like, I don't know if that's a good word to describe it, but, like, the first word that comes to my mind is it had, like, a heavy impact to it. Like, a heavier weight or a heavier force to that animation for whatever reason. Yeah. 
Um, also, one, I kind of miss, I don't know why, maybe it's been a while since I watched Avatar. Um, but I thought that just the fight movement choreography was really good. Like, holy crap, Cora does. <laughs> I've got to watch now. Cora, she's like, it's like straight up in her fighting stance. Like, I love, like, sure, like this, Legend of Korra took more of an approach of like of mixed martial artists when it came to fighting, but I think it really works a lot of times because like I know how to I'm familiar with the movements of fighting of real world fighting of like all right duck boom bob weave like Korra done doing a little bit of that but she also doing martial arts she does this one move where she bends at Kuvira and then. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what you call it. I feel like she... I don't know what it's called, but she does like an arm bar. It's a, a leg lock arm bar almost and like pulls Kavira back. Like, Cora's trained in hand-to-hand fighting, I think, more than... Probably more than any character. I can't think of another character who's trained better in hand-to-hand fighting than Cora. Um... Like just fists, like you don't see that many people just fighting with like just fists. It's interesting because she is she can bend any element and also a couple of different sub elements, and uh, but she's also just just no. Nah, I'm just gonna use my hands. Even if you miss these elephants, he gonna catch his hands. No, and I like yeah. that they've built it up in her story too. Like along the way, we can see the 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 evidence, the places where she's acquired that to some degree. And I like that yeah. it's not just a random physical attribute that she happens to have. Like we've yeah. seen it in uh, several arena-style fights and pro-bending and like those places where that's been exercised. Yeah. And so they end the fight with... Uh, it's, it's pretty much a draw. They both kind of bend at each other and gets knocked out. And then right at that moment, uh, the whole thing explodes because of Mako and Bowen. And... Uh, I feel like Cora is pretty much like if if I had to be like, all right, who won this fight? I would say Cora just because she she's the first one to get up and she's the one like carrying Kuvira out of the mech suit. But that's like all the action in the episode. That does kind of turn to the next half, second half. Yeah, it's funny because that that ends at like the eight minute mark of the episode, so it's like I don't know, all all talking and stuff, which is uh, oh, really cool. Anyway, so Kavira <laughs> Cora tells her like, "Hey, it's over." Like, and Kavira does not giving up. Uh, there's a scene that I just kind of crack up laughing when Cora when they first got the mech suit. Cora's carrying it around. She sets it down. She's of course like. Listen, you have to give up. And before Cora can finish her sentence, Kavira like throws a rock at her face <laughs> and then runs away. I just found that to be it. Was, it, was kind of, it kind of caught me off guard in an amusing way. Yeah. Um. So Kavira runs away. Cora chases her, and then like she runs away into the spirit wild. And then right when Cora gets in there, just a big old gun just facing her down. And uh, and then and then starts one of my absolute favorite moments of of the show. Uh, this is what I did my one legendary moment about, and it is uh, all surrounding Cora saving Kuvira from a spirit gunner. 
um, pretty much I wanted to go watch that video for me to in depth explain <clears throat> everything why I love it. Um, but I, I so so Kuvira has a big old gun and it just happens to have like this nice <laughs> trigger <laughs> already there. Um, and she aims it at, at Korra and then the spirit gun goes goes crazy, goes wild, and it's using all the spirit energy from all the surrounding vines. So it's pretty much like unstoppable at this point. And then even Korra's like, you have to stop it. Kuvira's like, I'm trying to. Like, she, she can't get it stopped. It's already, like, it's just overloading with all that spirit energy. And then Kuvira falls. And uh, I will say, I fully expected Kuvira to die, right? Because oftentimes we see die because of their own hubris, right? Like, like this is Kuvira's doing. This is, she, she was her own downfall and man just so beautiful I mean, when there's such a great scene where Kuvira falls off and she she looks up and she's just like it's like a oh crap like i'm about to die type of deal have you ever been in a moment where you thought you're about to die sean i have yeah um right. do you, do you oh we're about to get <laughs> no do you care to hear i'll be well, I know I do, but I hope it's not like a very dramatic story. You don't have to share it. If it's no, like, it's, uh, oh, this guy held me up at gunpoint, and no, it's not quite and, like I, that. and I cracked my pants. Um, no, this is very. Uh, how do I say? This is like a first world person way to about die. Uh, no, it's on okay. our honeymoon, and we went like whitewater rafting in Costa Rica, um, and just we just like hit a bad bump, and then I fell out, and they're just like, oh, you know, you just stay calm and you like float down the river until you can like safely swim at a calm spot uh first of all i don't like water we established like two weeks ago we established i'm not a great swimmer um but they just like hey just you cross your arms and just lay flat and just float down the river until it comes a point where you can like safely like just float and swim to the side or whatever got life vest helmets yeah. everything uh but i was floating oh, okay. and there was just like a little drop off uh which you know i'm not really paying attention i'm just doing what i'm supposed to but instead of like yeah. dropping off there was like a branch there, so I kind of got stuck behind a branch, but with all the water, oh, like crap. rushing behind yeah. me. So you know, it just like it was kind of like a constant state of feeling like I was almost gonna drown. Like I could breathe uh -huh. some most of the time, but then like a big wave of water would just like come crashing over my head. Like getting um, waterboarded. Not that you know how that feels, but uh, I would say less torturous than like. Well, I don't want to demean like the psychological torture of waterboarding. And then I also found uh -huh. that if I put my head down, it would protect. Like, I wouldn't breathe in as much water. So I, like, put my head down. I was, like, thinking, and people are hollering and shit over there. Um, mm. But at least, like, I could breathe here. And then I just had to, like, like I mean, I don't know how to describe, like, pounds of pressure. I'm not a physics guy. But, like, I had to, like, wiggle just, like, centimeter by centimeter just to, like, wiggle myself oh, yeah. over. To wow, that's a lot. But then, but then at the bottom of that, like, after I did manage to get out, it was just, like, a little more floating until there was, like, a calm... A, like a calm space for me to like get back in the boat but like there was there was a few minutes i want to say two to three minutes of like solid terror of like first not breathe second all right and now i can actually breathe how do i like mm. wriggle myself free while everybody's like yelling and screaming at me like all right not helping like give me a minute <laughs> let me work this out but uh no that's terrifying absolutely it was a uh, honeymoon <laughs> september wow that 2012 
recently when I when I came back from Tulsa, uh, this wasn't a near death experience. It's just I was driving stupid uh, because you know you're driving on the on the two way highway and you got to pass somebody up. I miss and you, you try to size it up right like all right, well I have this much time to pass them up before so a car. Much, man, yeah, I hate doing it. Here. But the last time, so I went to Tulsa previously. The time before that, I went to I went to Tulsa over Fourth of July. But the previous time before that, which was like a couple weeks ago, I miss timed it, and I was sort of in the point of no return. And so I'm just like I'm like, oh crap! I gotta drive really really fast. Like I got up to like a hundred miles an hour, and then I got over, I got over in enough time to to not even it be a, a thing but if i if i think about it in terms of seconds i was probably five seconds from a head-on collision of like, of high highs i'd like to know in like terms of miles an hour like you you had to hit 100 to make that where it was like what if you were just at you know uh, 70 or like whatever like yeah the, uh, i know exactly what you mean you hit that point mm-hmm. where you're like if i don't gas it i'm gonna die so <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i don't even think about like, I didn't even look at the speedometer until I was over it. No, you Because I'm punch. just like, all right, I just, yeah, you just punch and then you get over it. Chris, does your car um, have an econ mode button? It does, but I, I just keep it at the, I don't, oh gosh, if I had an econ, oh crap. I, uh, <laughs> no, mine's on by default, right? But one time I specifically, and it felt really dramatic, it felt like I thought I was in a movie or something, but I like turned the econ button off to guess it. <laughs> I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was not a near death. That I did not think death was on its way. I just afterwards I thought to myself, I sh- I need to slow down. Like that was, like I was, just like five or ten seconds. Like if the other car in front of me was just like, oh, I don't want to slow down. But, but, yeah, on the road like, for anyway. a long time by yourself though. Like I get why yeah. that happens. <laughs> but that. the other time, well, so anyway, that's not important. Um, they were really relevant. But I was in a car wreck before. Right? Highway on like Highway 70 going to KC, and there's construction interstate, and it goes down to like two, goes down to like two lanes because it's a three way, and it goes down to two lanes. Someone apparently back did not see that we were in construction, and I'm driving, and I just see in my rearview mirror this white Tahoe. Like, we all have gone down to like having about 15 miles an hour. That's how bad the construction is. And this Tahoe. Didn't see it apparently. And all I see is this Tahoe coming in, swerving, <laughs> and I'm I, I'm just looking to my wife. By the same look that Kuvira gives the Spirit Cannon, and I'm just like, holy crap, this is this is death right here. Like this is death knocking. Um, luckily, the Tahoe and there was a car behind me. The Tahoe hits the car behind me, elevates. I see it go airborne. It then lands on the back. It jumps over the car behind us, lands on the back of our car, and then we hit the car in front of us. And uh, like no one was hurt. Although I did think the driver of the Tahoe was dying because when I got out of my car, his car was upside down with like, he, he almost looked pinned. Yeah, it was compressed to the window. He was just screaming. And he had the Alabama ads. Oh, I think we talked about this before. He had the the Louisiana ads, and it's like, oh, God, oh, God, oh. It's not, I mean, it's, it's funny now. It's come up on the show before, but you've talked to me about it? Because I specifically <laughs> yeah, okay. remember the Alabama accent. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, anyway, I thought death like was nothing you can do, and you're just like, I guess this might as well yeah, happen. There was... <laughs> yeah, there's nothing. Uh, the thing is, I called you know the ins- his insurance later when I had information, and I tried to explain it to her. She was like, "No, this is too much. Like, this is a four or five person car pile up. Like, we need like police reports and stuff like that." But... And you're like. Okay, that will be obtainable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, that's I understand what Kuvira is feeling of. Like, yeah, that's uh, that's death coming the right now. I'm not going to the door. The pure adrenaline kick, like we've all been there at some point. Yeah, it's freaky. Not not a fun experience. Right. But Cora jumps right in front of the spirit cannon, and uh, oh man, the animation is beautiful. Just just the spirit energy cascading off of her, the music swelling up, like everything just coming together. I think it's just so beautifully and uh, and perfectly. Um, and uh, yeah, she ends up saving Uvira. And I do want to say, uh, so Mike had said, not Mike, Brian. Why do I keep doing this? Uh, Brian said in the commentary. Like he felt like in this whole entire spiritual journey of, of Korra throughout all the seasons, this was her crowning achievement that she saved a villain by using her own spiritual energy to block the the spirit energy. Um, oh, he put it in a, in a much better way than I'm paraphrasing here, but great moment. Uh, and then it ends up creating a a new uh, spirit portal. Um, wait, it's not called a spirit portal. Wait, is it called a? Yeah. It feels like they call it a spirit portal. Do they not? I don't know why that doesn't sound, but yeah, spirit portal. You know Pretend. when you say like spirit portal. Lasso, when you say something too many times, it starts to lose. Yeah, it does. It loses meaning. Yeah. <laughs> First, um, I was thinking about not sleeping. Cool. Then I was thinking about thinking about not sleeping. Oh yeah, that's bad. <laughs> uh, there's a have you there's a a clip of of this football coach who's like the real life Ted Lasso. I mean, they didn't. It wasn't inspired by him, but he has these quotes and sayings that it's just sounds like three football coach that says just all the funny weird. He's like D three, yeah. not even D two. Yeah. Uh, I remember exactly who you're talking about. He talks about it's like right. I want to put my kids on a depth chart, but Mrs. Brown didn't like that, or something. <laughs> All sorts of random yeah. stuff. Yes, yeah. I have. Hey. Um, anyway, um, yeah, it's a creating new spirit portal, and uh, and they get kind of lost in it, uh, and then pretty much the battle's over, and everyone's like, "Where the heck are they?" Yeah, if you think from and, the uh, perspective of a Republic City citizen, like you just watched the apocalypse like happen outside of your door, and it's just gone. Like, um, so they're looking for Cora, uh, Kavira's men, uh, uh, henchmen, and people are looking for Kavira. Uh, and there's a really cool scene that they do with Cora uh, that mimics into it's sort of in this. I don't want to say it's not an astral plane, but sort of like the in between of the. Uh, <clears throat> uh, it, it, I would I would call it Korra's astral plane, or at least that's how she's foreseeing it. Because in an episode, 
origins in season two, that's how she sort of talks to her past lives, right? It's like her standing there. But this time you see Kuvira standing there. And it's just to indicate just that these two are like mirror people of each other. And they have like a very, very nice uh, chat in the spirit world between Kuvira and Korra. Whereas like, you know, you were gone. So you didn't want to step up. I had to be the one to step up. Like, you don't know anything about this. Like, the Avatar is adored by millions of people. Um, I think Korra is also, like, not respected by so many people. She's pretty much the most hated Avatar that we are aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in-universe. Oh, yeah, probably in-universe. In and... Except for Avatar Zito and all the people yeah. whose taxes he filed. <laughs> um, oh, how much? Oh, but there's... <laughs> Uh, but there's also a great scene. Like when they land, Korra lands first, and Kuvira's still knocked out, and Korra catches her before she like falls to the ground. It just it's just really shown passion that Korra has. Like season one, Korra, first of all, would not save Kuvira. She also would not catch her. She would just let her fall. Like it's such good character growth there. But also just the just the imagery of Korra holding Kuvira. Like you would hold uh, a cherished loved one or someone you care about. Yeah, like even if I save her, like I'm gonna drag her around by the scrap of her neck. I'm gonna make sure <laughs> yeah. everybody knows this is very begrudging. Yeah, and there's even a moment there where like where Kuvira, I feel like feels safe in the arms, and she's not sure whose arms it is. And then she looks up, and she even pauses for like for a minute there. But then, like, it comes back to her, like, oh, this is Korra. Like, Ew, gross. There's a lot of people, and uh, one day we'll, we'll get to, uh, to our uh, shipping episode for Legend Korra. There's a lot of people who ship Korra and Kuvira. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that ship yet, but I get it. I understand. I feel They're almost. about ships if I didn't love Korasami so much. Like, it's only an interesting ship if the alternatives, you know, aren't. Mm, yeah. I don't know. But like I think it's funny. So Big Brother recently fun we talked about you know. Um you know how they, they talk about Big Brother next week. Yeah. Well there was there was a uh uh this, this this gay couple, these two guys, and they both looked the same. <laughs> like like they were both like dorky white guys with 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 like blonde hair with rounded circle glasses. You think that would be unsettling <laughs> to some degree? Yeah, I'm like, I don't see that that often. Like, I don't see often where I feel like there's two people in a couple and they just look. Well, think about the, the number same. of people you see that look like you, and then be like, all right. And so then, what are the odds that they are both homosexuals, and then also the odds that they are attracted <laughs> to each other? Like, that's a very <laughs> the odds aren't good. And, and like I didn't, it's it's stupid to say like, oh I don't like the parents. It just was weird to me that they looked exactly they didn't look exactly the same. Also, I I didn't get like that great a look. It's just tangentially they looked they they looked vaguely yeah they looked vaguely they gave off the same like look. If, um, so. If how Speaking I react of Cora, to myself in the mirror is any indication <laughs> of how I would react to a person who looked like me, 
that's not going to happen. I'm not going to shit myself with that person. I mean, sometimes my wife is like, oh, you look, like, she'll give me a compliment. She's like, you look, you know, nice. I'm like, hmm. Thanks. I just think I just look like a regular dude. But, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so anyway, my point. <laughs> no, it's too late. I already started. I will sometimes, like, straight up, like, I'll wait for my wife to, like, come around. Like, when I know if I'm finishing up in the bathroom before bed and I know she's heading in, I'll, like, wait for her to come in. And then I'll pretend like I was, like, flexing in the mirror and stuff. I'm like, oh, sorry. Here, I'll get it. And it's a very small bathroom, so I'll, like, make a point to, like, make her squeeze past me on the way out. And I don't know why. I think it's hilarious. She really doesn't think it's that funny. It's funny. Um, to me it is. <laughs> oh, but 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 the the thing that has to do with Kuvira, Korn and Kuvira is that those two are like too much alike, especially just character wise. Because Kuvira is essentially Korra from book one. Uh, look wise, they don't look that much alike. Um, I mean, even, I mean, there are some cases where I mean, in terms they've like, they've played around like a little bit. Stature, maybe some comps there, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, um, but. But I'm not sure if I would ship. I wouldn't sink it. I'd either float it. I'll float it. I'm not gonna. Or is it? But I only like. Yeah, to, I'm not sure yet. I don't like to dual ship, and I like chorus on me too much, so I'll, I'll just float that. Yeah. Um. But uh, but I do I do think it has. Oh, some some basis there. It has some little little good moments. Um. Uh, so anyway, so Cora and Kuvira are talking, and uh, and Cora is essentially saying like, I, I now understand why I had to go through all that suffering I went through so I can have. Oh no, she says that to. Sorry, she says that to Tenzin later on. Um, but the, in this moment, they just kind of come together and they talk about their similarities, and Cora is just empathizing with Kuvira, and it's just to show that like. Empathy and understanding are, are some of the most vital traits to to have. Like being strong isn't being physically strong isn't as important as it is just to be a good human being. Being truly empathetic or truly uh, merciful sounds like the wrong word. I'm not sure if I can compassionate. Maybe is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Like to sort of do it truly, you kind of have to know that it's going to burn you a few times. Like, they're not all going to be happy endings. Sometimes it's going to get the short end of the stuff. Yeah. But the idea of, like, being compassionate, it's like you keep doing it anyway because you know it's the right thing to do. And, yeah, every once in a while it's going to screw you over. And that's why that's what makes it hard. You know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, they have a really good talk. And then they come out. And then, um, and then. Kavira's men surround him. They're like, hand over Kavira. And Kavira's like, stand down. Like, the Avatar's power is beyond anything I could hope to achieve. Like, it's also just a interesting way for her to phrase that. Like, the chorus villains, like, Zaheer and Kavira come to realize just, like, Kora is, like, one of the most powerful in, in the world. And they, and they kind of come to that conclusion after facing her. Um, it feels like they should have just talked to the last one, like, hey, this is a bad idea. <laughs> oh, thanks, Zaheer. I don't, if I was Kuvir, I'd also be, like, a little cocky, like, hey, she's dealing with a lot of, like, 
physical and and mental things. I think I can take it. <laughs> it's worth a shot. Let's let's bank on this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, because two previous villains, uh, Amon and and Unlock, died. I think she still doesn't actually. I mean, she still doesn't know that uh, Amon was killed. But, uh, yeah, they still, yeah, they still have no idea what happened. Um, anyway, so then that's the it of the conflict, and then it opens up with a wedding. Eric and Julie get married, and Bolin don't know when he got certified, but he is the probably took one of those internet yeah. things, you know, the quickies. Yeah, yeah, he probably just went down to city council and yeah, got a quick uh, dilly dilly. Related, my wife just texted me from bed to ask me to make sure. I think she must have overheard us to make sure I had the John Mulaney tickets in my email. I do. I just want to verify that. <laughs> and parking, also. Oh, and parking. And okay. parking. Uh, what's that? Oh, so then it goes to uh to the party to the wedding party, and there's a few little uh callbacks and stuff. One thing. So there are. I know it's in this recording. There are flower men sort of like throwing the flowers but they're dressed as nut tuck and they're like above throwing the flowers on to julie and Varric. um also see the return of uh of those like dumb uh so, so dumb out there i thought they were corrupt police but they're just yeah, dumb they were just regular dumb yeah uh, and then also, I think his name is Tom, who uh, Rami Malik plays. Uh, he's he's in the band, <laughs> playing in the band, and the rest of the wolf, uh, wolf bats. Um, you know, I was kind of sad. Lynn doesn't have like a a great like ending moment. I mean, this season wasn't like. Wait, this season? What happened? This she wasn't like that big. This season? No, but that's uh, that's. So, Fine, right, because she's yeah, she was integral this season outside of the relationship to Kavir. Yeah, yeah, and what? Uh, okay. No, I get it. Um, I'm okay with it too. I just, I'm just seeing her right now, and I just really like that character. I could have probably used a little more of that. Um, and then Suyin also. Oh, one thing I didn't like: Suyin was like, "You're gonna pay for everything you've done, Kavir." Like, you're a little harsh. I mean, you're. you're Although, honestly, I get it. You just could be a little bit more empathetic. Like she just meant fiscally. Like, you're going to be fined to the full extent of the damages for all of what you've done. <laughs> Hope you can cover that. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait. I'm supposed to be facing this way. There we go. Um, the Oh, and then Mako and, Bolin, Mako and Prince Wu have a talk. Prince Wu was like, yeah, I might try democracy and have the states be independent. So that sounds great and all, but like, so now it's are there like going to from almost like it wasn't a democracy, but like the like independent makes it sound like fend for themselves a little bit. Yeah, like imagine if the United States was like, you know what, everyone should be independent, and then we got into like a a war. Like, well, what the heck do we do? Like, some states would be like, we're not going to fight, we're not going to provide Which, stuff like, to history, right? We all watched Game of yeah. Thrones, you know. Yeah, but also that's. I feel like that's how, is that how things were when the first thirteen colonies were. Like some states are just like, eh. No, I think it. We don't want to. Like I don't know which ones which, but it's like we're not gonna fight back. Like, are you nuts? 
So, like, there, are, there has to be, like, still one head of government, or, or you're not a nation. You're a bunch of small nations. Um, Just a bunch of small and, nations. And you will be... Protection fees to some <laughs> oversight gang. But I'm curious. How they never really... I mean, they said they'll be, in, in the comic books, you know, they pretty much are going to have head of states for every single kind of region or whatever, but, like, what happens to that central power? Is there just no central power? I guess right now, there is. Yeah. And that's so you know, the Fire Nation going to be like, oh, you know what? Mm, I want, I this little part. Have, like, any Canadians that listen to us and, like, those idiots think they need central power. Some Saskatchewans listening to us Wait, and just dude. laughing at us. There's a there's a prime minister of Canada. Uh, I don't know to what extent the federal involvement is. I do believe it's lesser, but I think it's probably more like closer to what you and I are suggesting in this fictional universe than it is to like not present whatsoever. Yeah. But uh, it's it's quite a bit less. I feel like. Looks... Don't quote me on that. Hey, Canadian viewers, let me know how far off I am. I would love to learn. Saskatchewanese. Um, so anyway, uh, and then Mako and Cora have a nice little moment together, kind of just cementing their friendship. <laughs> that's it. Um, yeah, that's it. Although the Avatar's theme music does kind of come up a little bit, but then also there's a great moment between Cora and Tenzin. I think um, it's interesting because Cora says, "Like, I really just think." You know, I've learned so much, but I really just think my story, like, I'm just beginning. And she is. She's, like, 22. <laughs> think about how much she's accomplished also at 22. She's faced a lot of, of threats. And, in the league. What a legend. Yeah, and just for, and just for, uh, for any Aang fans, yes, Aang also accomplished a great deal at 13. A great, great deal. Just want to... <laughs> just tossing it out there, being fair. Yeah. Um... um... Oh, I'm sorry. Go and ahead. then, oh, so my point was like, chorus, like, I think I feel like my, my, I'm just beginning, which makes me think about, hey, we're getting a Cora movie soon. So that should be, you know, just, just those two thoughts together. It just got me it's a little bit excited, I guess. It's got me excited. Although I hope it's not full of romantic drama. Can we just have a movie where, where Cora saw me just like live together all happy and yeah. a little happy family and uh, no romance? So well, I was thinking about behind this behind closed doors that I don't have to pay attention to. So I was thinking about this. So Corey and Sami have a nice little moment together. They kind of talk about things they've been through, uh, stuff like that. Cora got game. I would say this. Cora's like, "Hey, we should go on vacation together. Just me and you." Like, Cora's sly with smooth it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very smooth. Uh, <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> let's go on this retreat and discover some things about each other. Well, what you say, Cora? Mm, nothing. Just, just. No, no. I said learn go things about each other. Yeah. <laughs> Cora, that was smooth. And then they, yeah, and they go and walk into the spirit portal um, together. Oh, so my thing about the movie, I could see the movie opening up with them like getting married at the spirit portal. And like it just being just like visual, visual wise, uh, a direct continuation right from where they left off. I don't know. Um, I feel like they I, would be a, a, an Air Temple Island kind of couple. 
Nah, they definitely will get married in the spirit portal. You think so? They would get. I think so. I wish the spirits will come. Iroh would come. Uh, holy crap, Iroh could come. You think Iroh gonna come to a wedding? I don't know. That don't sound right. Uh, yeah, it's the Avatar's wedding. That would be. Iroh will officiate it. Oh, man, that's some pretty heavy fan pandering. I don't know how I feel about this that, idea anymore. That, that, okay. <laughs> that is like, it's like, how did, who officiated your wedding? Oh, so it was my, uh, this guy I knew in a past life who uh, reached Nirvana and was able to transcend. Uh, he was not reincarnated. Uh, he decided to just walk through the spirit portal and, and officiate our, our wedding. Yeah, drop the lines, you know. Uh, Iron, you ever heard of him? Yeah, you know, General of the of the West, uh, Fire Dragon of the West, General of the Fire Nation, uh, responsible for killing at least hundreds of of Earth King and not Board. But, but yeah, he did. He's a pretty good ever uh, omnipresent <laughs> spirit, you know. Uh, uh, no, that that would be very. <laughs> they had yeah, I think they're more of a destination okay. wedding couple. I I who would I like to see at the wedding? Um, I can see Iroh coming to it and talk. I don't know. It'll be fan. It'll sure be fan servicey, without a doubt. It'd but be a really cute way to kick off a movie. I'll give you that. Like two, it would be. How many years down the road? How long? I, kids I, imagine. Days? Imagine someone watches. Uh, never mind. Anyone who watches the movie would have watched the TV show, <laughs> but. You know, maybe, but uh, in a in a weird way, you kind of hope not, right? You hope that uh, it comes out with like a big enough bang and splash. Like, people... imagine if someone like it'll be like very Star Wars esque, where you have these uh, force projections of people. Um, <laughs> That'd be incredible, just spirits. People it's like people who watch Avatar, watches the core movie, they're like, "Where the heck did is Iroh a force ghost now? <laughs> like, where the how the heck did this happen?" Listen, what this is die? way over my head. I gotta go back and yeah. turn on the old material. Um, uh, but yes, yeah, so it ended with uh, Korra and Asami holding hands during into the Spirit War together. And uh, so the first time I watched this... <laughs> first time I watched this, I... So there was talks of, of Korra Asami um, before... And like I read on the internet, it's so stupid me, right? I was I'll read people being like, "Oh, of course, time should happen." Me thinking I'm like somewhat progressive, I'm like, "Why are you guys? Anytime you guys see like, so this is me typing in my 2014 days, whatever. Like, why when you just get two strong female characters, dude, bros just wanted them to kiss and make out. Like that's that's who I thought was shipping. That's who I thought were, uh, were the type of people who were shipping Korosami uh, before." And then I'm looking back, and I'm like, wait, no, it was actually probably a lot of people who just wanted to see this uh, representation. Yeah. Uh, so one, I was, I was never, uh, I wasn't shipping Korosami at, at that point because I didn't. I uh, admittedly probably saw things through my uh, very uh, heterosexual eye, and and when I look back, I do see you know a lot more uh, things uh, too that was kind of calling it out. Um, but I, I was, you know, I was always really cool and great. With it, I was really happy to see that representation um, happens. Uh, even even if it's uh, you know it wasn't like a I think a home. Even though I would have liked to have more 
build up to it. There was build up enough there, but you know, me story wise, I, I would like to have more. And I think even Mike and Brian would have liked to have more, uh, which I can read their comments, I mean, which I have the comments about yeah, it. And, yeah, I get one more, but like it just, I don't know, it wasn't necessary for the season. It wasn't the crux of the story that we were being told. It wasn't integral to it. It's like, oh. I'm fine with shipping them with what story we had and knowing that, you know, especially now knowing that we've got more content coming <clears throat> makes it feel a little easier. I'm choking on my spit. Anyway, uh, so real <laughs> quick, Brian, not not real quick, but Brian wrote a really long thing um, that I will try to read fairly quickly about Korasami. The first thing he says that just Korasami is canon. He says... You can celebrate it, embrace it, accept it, get over it, or whatever you feel the need to do, but there's no denying it. That is the official story. We received some wonderful press in the wake of the series finale at the end of last week, and just about every piece I read got it right. Kora and Asami fell in love. Were they friends? Yes. Are they still are? Wait, yes. And they still are, but they have but they also grew to have romantic feelings for each other. He goes on to say. Was Korasami endgame? Meaning, did we plan it from the start of the series? No, but nothing other than Korra's spiritual arc was. Asami was a du duplish, duplicitous spy when Mike and I first conceived her character. Then we liked her too much, so we reworked the story to keep her in the dark regarding her father's villainous activities. Varric and Julie weren't originally planned to end up as a couple either, but that's where we took the story, where the story took us. That's how writing works the vast majority of the time. You give these characters life, and then they'll tell you what they want to do. I have bragging rights. As the first course, I'm a shipper. I win. <laughs> <laughs> he put that in quotation marks. Uh, as we wrote book one, as we wrote book one, before the audience had ever laid eyes on Korra and Asami, it was an idea I would kick around the writer's room. At first, we didn't, didn't give it much weight, not because we think same-sex relationships are a joke, but because we never assumed it was something we would ever get away with depending on an animated show for a kids network in this day and age, or at least in 2010. Goes on to say, uh, Makaro was only in game as far as the end of book one. Once we got into book two, we knew we were going to have them break up and we never planned on getting them back together. Sorry, friends, I like Mako too. And I'm sure he would be just fine in the romance department. He grew up and learned about himself through his relationship with Asami and Korra, and he's a better person for it. And he'll be a better partner for who, whomever he ends up with. Once Mako and Korra were through, we focused on developing Korra and Asami's relationship. Originally, it was primarily intended to be a strong friendship. Frankly, we wanted to set most of the romance business aside for the last few seasons. Personally, at that point, I didn't want Korra to have to end up with someone at the end of the series. We obviously did it in Avatar, but even that felt a bit forced to me. I'm usually rolling my eyes when that happens in virtually every action film. Here we go again. It was probably around that time I came across this quote from uh, Miyazaki. And the quote is, I've become skeptical of the unwritten rule that just because a boy and a girl appear in the same feature, romance must ensue. Rather, I want to portray a slightly different relationship, one where the two mutually inspire each other to live. If I'm able to, then perhaps I'll be closer to portraying a true expression of love. I agree with him wholeheartedly. This is Mike uh, Brian not talking, especially since the majority of the examples in media portray a female character that is a little more than a trophy to be won by the male lead for his daring do. So and Cora, typical pattern and end up respecting, admiring, and inspiring each other. That is a relation. That is a resolution I am proud of. 
However, I think there needs to be a counterpart to Miyazaki's sentiment, just because two characters of the same sets appear in the same story, it should not preclude the possibility of romance between them. No, not everyone is queer, but the other side of the coin is that not everyone is straight. The more Korra and Asami's relationship progress, the more the idea of romance between them are, are awesome for us. However, we still operated uh, under this notion, another unwritten rule that we would not be allowed to depict that in our show. So we alluded to it throughout the second half of the series, working in the idea that their trajectory could be heading towards a romance. But as we got close to finishing the finale, the thought struck me, how do I know we can't openly depict that? No one ever explicitly said so. It was just another assumption based on a paradigm that marginalizes non-heterosexual people. If we want to see that paradigm evolve, we need to take a stand against it. And I didn't want to look back 20 years and think, man, we could have fought harder for that. Mike and I talked it over and decided it was important to be unambiguous about the intended relationship. And uh, I think there was more, but I did not save that part of it. Um, but that was all from Brian. Mike, who's not as long-winded as Brian, uh, yeah, uh, just said, our intention with the last scene was to make it clear as possible that yes, Korra and Asami have romantic feelings for each other. The moment where they enter the spirit portal symbolizes their evolution from being friends to being a couple. Many news outlets, bloggers, and fans picked up on this and didn't find it ambiguous. For the most part, it seems like the point of the scene was understood and additional commentary wasn't really needed from Brian or me. But in case people were still questioning what happened in that last scene, I wanted to make a clear verbal statement to complement the show's visual one. I get that not everyone will be happy with the way that the show ended. Really, does a series finale of any show satisfy the show's fans? So I've been pleasantly surprised with the positive articles and posts I've seen about Corey's finale. I've already read some heartwarming and incredible posts about how this moment means so much for the LGBT community. Once again, the incredible outpouring of support for the, for the show humbles me. As Tenzin says, life is one big bumpy ride. Sorry, I was fine. They bumpy ride. And this, like, what is life, really? And if by Cora and Asami being a couple, we are able to help smooth out that ride, even a tiny bit for some people, I'm proud to do my part, however small it may be. Uh, anyway, that's it from uh, comments from them. Very long. Sorry for that. And uh, am I back on yet? I should be. Okay. Wait, there we go. Okay. Uh, anyway, so that's all their comments from the Korasami aspect of it. Oh, crap. We've been recording an hour. At least the last episode was pretty yeah, short. I mean, yeah. as I say, it's the right, the right time for that. Yeah. Uh, so that is Legend of Korra. Do I talk ratings? Uh, yeah, let's talk ratings. Ratings it is. Okay. You take your So, you know what? I'll just be blunt about 10s all over the board. Audiovisual gave it 10. Jeremy's Ultimate killed it this this series, this season, this whole property, but he definitely brought his A game in, in this one. Like, there's so much, like, quiet but great moments in it. And, oh, man, the last scene is done so beautifully well by Jeremy Zuckerman. You know, just more praise heaped upon him. Um, the visuals, really good. Like I mentioned before, Cora and Alpha Lazar Bender are some of the most beautifully animated shows. But also, they're beautifully animated in the quiet moments, especially with between Cora 
and uh, Kuvira, like that field with like iceberg mountains in the background, but then like purple flowers and the real world just looks beautiful. Uh, oh, and then there was, uh, I forget his name, the sound, sound editing guy, the other half of uh, Jeremy Zuckerman's other half. Um, they did a great job with the spirit cannon with that big explosion and Korra um, stopping the spirit cannon. Uh, really beautiful stuff. Story. And this completes the arc of Korra. You can hear me talk more about her saving Kavir as one of the best moments ever um, within uh, Legend of Korra. And she comes full circle with her character arc. Um, just a lot of great moments and just a lot of the Legend Core, I think, provides more concrete life lessons than than Avatar does. Um, like when Aang defeated the Fire Lord, sure, you can find some deep meaning in there, but I think there's deeper meaning in Korra giving Kuvira. Like it's just it's about being empathetic, about understanding where people come from, walking out on the shoes. Uh, so sorry. It's a 10 out of 10. Memorable. Absolute 10 out of 10. Like I, that, other things I've talked about with it. So 10. If you can do the math. Uh, hey, funny story. I had a lot of 10s in here as well. Um, I, will I think uh, in summary, it's not... I don't know if I'm going to like... We'll talk about it someday. I'm, I'm curious to see scores versus preferences of like seasons. Um, seasons of Korra and, and Avatar The Last Airbender. But this is pretty much peak 2D animation meets peak uh, music score meets peak storytelling. Um, especially yeah. in a finale. And you just read that quote and it's funny. It's like, who, how does any finale of any decent TV show like ever make its fans happy? Anyone who stuck with Korra for the long haul was probably... I can't imagine people being too upset with this one. Um, I loved it. I think this is Pete Cora. Uh, it was extremely satisfying on all three of those fronts. Audiovisual story and memorable. No qualms whatsoever. Given tens across the board, which leaves us with a ten overall. Mm, nice. But Chris, I do have like some bad news. This is important. What is the bad news, Sean? The Starlight Theater is outside. Like what? It's outdoors, man. Look it up. It's weird. Wow. Dress light. It's gonna, it's July twenty third. I don't know what we were thinking. We should have looked. Why does this. Starlight Theater outside? It's by the zoo, and I've never been to the Starlight. I guess Theater. that's why they call it the Starlight Theater. I guess that does make sense, but uh, I mean, it looks nice. It doesn't make any sense. I see some tents, canopies, and things, or whatever. But is it gonna be hot? It's. I mean, it's Kansas, and it's July, so yeah. probably okay. I'm not saying we he's going to be hot. I'm saying we maybe he's going to be like unwarmed choice. How much would you bet he's going to make a joke about it being outside? Like, like, what type of is this? I hope he does. I thought this was frankly that will make me feel better about. Oh, he gets it. He's just like us, you know. Yeah, she just went to the. uh, There's another. um, What's the other theater like by downtown by the. I mean, there's. By the, anyway, I don't really know my downtown stuff at all, but I know like T-Mobile Center is you know a massive basketball stadium, and Kemper Arena is yes. a decent sized basketball stadium, and you know, there's venues. There's probably like an actual venue for music and comedy that I'm not aware of. That's so weird. 
Yeah. Well, sorry to break the bad yeah. news. But the good news is this episode was great, Chris. <laughs> get a sandwich, the bad news in between the good news there. Uh, final thoughts. I mean, I would say you don't even have to go crazy on the final thoughts for the season. Because I would have to imagine we're going to wrap up some season thoughts. And or yeah, we, we might thoughts. do like a, a we might do like a Legend Core retrospective. Or maybe so we'll, coming maybe up, we're definitely we'll going Teletubbies. You know, we'll talk about whatever we want, but probably we'll some that. kind of retrospective. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the uh, also, third thing I could think of, and I'm not sure why that was the first one in my head. Uh, also, we'll definitely do an episode ranking every episode of Legend Korra, uh, and then we'll get to doing rating all the seasons, and then probably rate all the we'll do a you know we have all the data now which i love data um so we'll be able to crunch the numbers do the analysis on like which show is like better which had the higher highs which had the better seasons uh, how you rank all the seasons across avatar and legend of Korra. so we got plenty of episodes coming down the pipeline this is definitely not uh, Talking about Legend of Korra, uh, we we you know this this podcast will continue to go for quite. I don't see its end in sight. Video again, I suppose. Yeah. Full circle. So we got we got a lot of stuff. Wait till we do our ships episode. I need to find some uh, another. Uh, I think I need to reach out to some people. Um, be prepared for several weeks of me like reminding you of the importance of like I should, personal. I just email Jenna. I should just email Jenna Varney to ask if she wants to be on our ships episode. I think so. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> she would politely decline. <laughs> but then you would have an email from Janet Varney in your inbox. That's true. That'd be pretty cool. Like she doesn't strike me as the type who would have like an assistant or something. Like she's answering her own emails. She might have a planner, yeah. a helpful. But also, she'll probably ship everything though. She'd probably be all for it. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Get get ready for countless weeks of me like throughout this entire rating process of reminding like preference versus uh, preference versus critique, and the fact that my taste and things I enjoy almost never line up with things that are good. <laughs> Um, well, hey, uh, that being said, tune in next week to see whatever it is we figured out to do. You know, I have a feeling that next week will be not a crazy one because we'll be like getting ready apparently to apply sunscreen on our way to John Mulaney. So next week won't be too crazy. But yeah, stay tuned to see what we decide to do, what direction we decide to go after this. In the meantime, I'm Sean Taylor. That's my friend Chris Ford, a.k.a. The Objective Geek of YouTube and Twitter. And thank you so much for bearing with us until we finally got to the finale of the show here. It's very exciting. Um, we'll see you next time. Thanks for being here. Oh, crap. Damn it. That... No. Is this paint? Is this... Oh, that was great. Stand, and it would have been the last stand. <laughs>